Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? I can't imagine what it's like for Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski when it's like the NFL free agency, NBA free agency, and they have to report on all of those players. I feel like it is just like every moment, you know, you get a buzz, you get a notification, you get a text, you get an email. It's like, this guy's going there. This girl's going here. Transfers. And it's it just feels like, you know, it feels like you're a, you're a super agent spy trying to figure out where everything's happening, especially when, uh, you know, now everyone has an extra season of uh, eligibility going around. Well, I mean, that's probably why they have like three or four phones. I think we might need to get you like a second or third phone at this point. Well, let's just get everyone a second or third phone. With all, with all the, the TSR budget money we have, which is like approximately three Monopoly dollars, you know, um, why not? We're stretching it a long, long way as much yeah. as we possibly can. We're going to get all those uh, Motorola razors for everyone. Perfect. Perfect. So we'll, we'll be cool in 2008. Uh, <laughs> So we are back after some technical difficulties. Um, last week we are back and there is plenty of transfer news to get to. Um, before we do, we're still at 51 five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Quick mention, uh, just so that we can get that up to 60, hopefully in the next week or two, March to 60. You guys have been really great, but um, maybe you guys can throw in a question or even some transfer rumor news in your five-star rating and review we would love to hear it and that's definitely one way where you can get our attention and we will definitely respond if you uh, leave us a rating and a review yeah uh definitely leave us a rating review there and uh, i think we all kind of got to 50 and everyone was like now nah, we're good now nah, we, we have to go keep uh, on the march to 60 we'll get there you know give us a shout out in the comments if you haven't already at the apple podcast app whatever you want instagram if it's appropriate, we'll, we'll put it out there. Uh, you never know. Um, but yeah, go go leave us a comment, rating a review. Help us help you. That, that's the whole goal in all of this. Exactly. The more uh, support we get, the more we can do. Um, and, but with that said, I think we should jump right into the transfer news. We got two big names on the move from Stanford to North Carolina. I'm sure everyone listening knows about these two, Thomas Ratcliffe and Alex Osberg, joining their former coach in Chapel Hill. Thomas Ratcliffe comes in with some cross-country eligibility, while Osberg will have track only. But still, North Carolina under Coach Miltonberg is starting to accumulate, is starting really to become Stanford East, East at this point. Absolutely, because not only that, you also have Stephen Fay, who's no longer having eligibility, but he's moving out there uh, to North Carolina. He's going to continue training post-collegiately with Miltonberg. So there's a heavy Stanford influence, as you can tell. And now you've got Ratcliffe joining along with Osberg, and now there's Lundy and there's Siegler. But I want everyone to take a step back and take a deep breath. Because I think we're all taking a look at all these superstar impact names, these transfers in Milton Berg, and you know Patrick Anderson is this third place uh, footlocker finisher also coming in, and there's a lot of great talent. And I agree, let's take a deep breath because really only Ratcliffe has cross country eligibility. Siegel does not, Lundy does not, Osberg does not. So you know I think when when people immediately see these transfers, they think UNC is winning the national title. Not quite, not not quite how that works, but. I think this is definitely a step up in the right direction, right? UNC 
uh, brings back a, a good chunk of scores. They bring back a few, a handful of, of pretty solid scores for cross country. They add in a very solid recruiting class, as previously mentioned with the third place footlocker finisher, Patrick Anderson from the Northeast. Um, and then you also have Thomas Ratcliffe, who's a true low stick there. And all of a sudden you piece these, these names together and it does look like UNC is going to be far more competitive. Do I see them making nationals? Probably not this fall, which then becomes even interesting because then they lose Thomas Ratcliffe, but that's a whole other story. But I do see them competing pretty well and, and competing in an ACC conference that continues to get pretty deep each and every year. So um, a step in the right direction, a step that makes UNC a heck of a whole lot more interesting, um, but it'll also be interesting to see how the team um, is, is able to perform on the track, specifically outdoors when they have Osberg and uh, Siegler and Lundy uh, all running at the same time. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I, I think you make a good point that it's easy to buy into the hype when we're seeing all these big names and, and thinking that'll translate uh, in the fall on the grass. But I, I'm still fascinated to see how all these guys adjust, how they run, um, if, if not in the fall, in the spring. Because we're talking about someone like, for example, Alex Osberg, who's done okay on the track but hasn't been fantastic um he's definitely had a lot more success on the cross uh course so it'll be interesting to see how him and a lot of these other guys acclimate to unc and how well they do on the track this spring um and if they can use that even though a lot of them won't be back in 2022 or yeah 2021 excuse me um it'll be interesting to see if they can if unc can use that as a springboard into a better uh, fall in two years, um, even though they might lose a lot of these guys that they brought in this past year. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the very least, you know, it's again, just something that we talked about earlier with Lundy and with Siegler, you're just bringing in elite veteran guys, you know, you're bringing in names who are going to consistently help the transition into this Milton Berg era. And that's going to help, you know, especially with, with Thomas Ratcliffe, uh, running cross country, it's going to show that, Hey, this team can be competitive. But really now I'm curious is what's going to happen after all those guys leave? Because this is kind of a short, you know, a short-term fix. It's not a long-term, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of longevity coming with these guys with maybe the exception of Ratcliffe, who really only has one season of cross and multiple seasons of, of track eligibility left. So um, we'll definitely see how, how this unfolds in the future. But regardless, huge pickup. Uh, it was definitely the, the biggest news that we've had as a site. Uh, just stuff blew up that day. And uh, it, it was pretty crazy. All right. So two quick questions for you. First, is Thomas Ratcliffe a top five favorite uh, for individual national championship next year uh, in the in cross country? Ooh. Uh, ooh, that's tough. Because um, I, I, I actually, it, and this is going to sound, you know, kind of sinister, but I, I almost kind of like that he didn't perform that well at nationals this past fall. Because I think that's a learning experience. And I think that's kind of him shaking off and being like, oh, this is what it takes to run with those guys. And sure, it was muddy and no one really, you know, who we expected to run well did run well. So, but but generally, I, I kind of like that he's going to come into that next year with a little bit more experience under his belt. I, I worry about health. Um, it, it, it's tough. It, it's a fine balance. I don't know if I'm ready to say he's a top five guy yet. I'm probably leaning probably closer to top 10, but I I would say he's probably right on the fringe there. Um, and I guess everyone's just going to have to wait for XC top 50 rankings this <laughs> summer. 
Exactly. Yeah. Give him a little taste. Yeah, I agree. Somewhere in that range is probably about right. Second question. So you did mention how we're kind of curious to see what UNC does after this year, because this year is kind of a stopgap. What do you think? uh, Do you think the recruiting class for next year is going to be impacted by the fact that a lot of the guys that will be signing next year just had their junior season wiped away their junior track season wiped away do you think we're going to see a lot of maybe hit or misses on recruits like even if coach Miltonberg can get the guys that he wants do you think we'll we could see maybe a, a little bit more bust potential because because he's only really going to go off of a senior cross season and not get to see that junior track season. Okay, right. So you're saying when the class of 2021 comes in. Right. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've been talking about in some of my articles that I write for for uh, milesplit.us. Um, but I think you were going to – the standards for coaches now have to change. You know, like traditionally – is a 410 miler going to be a 415 miler? Like what, what's the difference that we're, we're going to be seeing? And as a coach, how do you adjust for that? Um, and plus, we don't even know if there's going to be a cross-country season. Um, exactly, I'm, yeah. I'm a little more optimistic about cross-country than I was about spring, obviously, because everything happened so fast. But we don't even know if we're going to have a season yet. So, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be tough. I think there's a case to be made there about, you know, this boom or bust, you know, potential there but at the same time i think that if it's not just going to apply to unc it's going to apply to everywhere else around the country and at that point it's it's kind of a it's kind of a moot point you know if if everyone's having the same kind of hit or miss probability then who knows yeah i only bring up unc because it seems like they're trying to get the ball rolling a little bit quicker than others and this is a this seems to be a very critical recruiting class for them since they kind of use this year as a filler almost um in a lot of ways that next year could be that that big recruiting class for them to really get the ball rolling and it's kind of an coming at an unfortunate time in a lot of ways because of the lack of i guess track times that they will have available to them yeah absolutely so it's a difficult aspect to manage but i don't think really you know in the grand scheme of things this is why i kind of like rankings and this is why i like consistency and that's why I think subjectivity is so important in these instances, because you can always talk about like, oh, well, this person ran this time and you know they're faster than this person. And yeah, to, a, to an extent, like if you're faster, you're faster. And that's just kind of how it is. But, um, you know, I, I just think there are, th- this is kind of where we shine as a, as a website, yep. and as a podcast, where you do have to look at this a little more subje- uh, you know, subjectively and be like, well, you know, what was their progression like? You know, what kind of range have they shown? How consistent are they? And, you know, have they, did they, you know, just one race wonder or is this, a, you know, a consistent progression? I, I think there's a lot of different aspects to consider. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll be getting a lot more TSR uh, traffic heading our way. We wouldn't say no to that. That's for sure. But next up on our transfer news, we have one uh, runner that's close, hits close to home for me, Jacob McLeod from my Belmont University heading to Arkansas. Um, he's going to be coming in with three years of cross-country eligibility um, after making uh, NCAAs as a freshman individually um, two years ago. He owns 805, 1359 PRs in the 3K, 5K respectively. 
He has, I believe, four years of track eligibility in outdoor. Someone who is going to come right into Arkansas, not only help right away, but he's going to be a pillar for this Arkansas Razorback team as they progress these next few years. Maybe one of the most influential transfers just because of that fact that he's going to have so much eligibility and already is capable of competing at a high level at the NCAA level. He ran, he was 107th as a freshman in cross country. And I can tell you that he was very disappointed in that. So I would not be surprised to see him uh, in the next few years threaten all American finishes and be someone for Arkansas that they can build around um, along with some of their other studs like uh, Amon Kemboy and really help push this team toward a podium finish. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this was just such a, a huge, just great pickup for Arkansas. Um, and I, I know, Ben, it does hit a little, home, a little hard for you. Um, but I just think that this was so perfect for Arkansas because it's what they needed, right? This past fall, they weren't bad, but they weren't a team that was that really had any firepower, right? They didn't have the low sticks. Um, you know, they had Matt Young, who has shown a lot of promise. He'll be going into his senior year. And they had a couple other guys who were, you know, consistently back there, at least offering some consistency uh, throughout most of last season. The problem is that they needed their Gilbert Boyd back. You know, they needed to add an Emmanuel Trebosin. They needed to add a Jacob McLeod. Um, they also are bringing in Amon Kemboy as well. But due to SEC transfer rules, uh, with the way that works, we expect that he may actually be sitting out this cross-country season. That's our expectation based on how the rules work. But um, who, who knows if, if there's maybe a, an aspect of that that we're missing. But regardless, now all of a sudden you bring back Boyd, you add Emmanuel Trebosin, and now you add Jacob McLeod, and you have three guys when teamed up with a top 10 SEC finisher in Matt Young. You're looking at a really good team and a team that I think could potentially be around the top 10 nationally um, come late uh, in the season. So I, I, think, I just think McLeod was that missing piece that really elevates them. He brings sturdiness, consistency, national experience, high potential, and longevity that you know he can compete uh, with with the Razorbacks for for more than just a year or two. So that's just such an ideal pickup for uh, Arkansas all around. Yeah, and we're we're really happy for him. I think he's going to do really well at Arkansas. Um, and it is interesting. Um, he was looking at some pretty uh, big schools as well, and the fact that Arkansas was able to land him is a, a significant pickup for them. And I know they're looking, uh, this isn't just going to be where they stop. They're looking to make some other big pickups, whether it's uh, internationally or transfers or just through uh, American recruiting. I, I think Arkansas is ready to really gear up for that another big run like they did uh, a few years ago. Um, and I think Jacob is going to help them significantly, like we've just mentioned. Um, and it'll be really fascinating to see where this Razorback team goes in the next few years. Look at you, Ben Weissel, breaking news, giving some <laughs> insight. Man, this this is what we pay you the big bucks for. Uh, the whole the whole nothing, but that's okay. You know. This, <laughs> so look at you, man. Awesome. But yeah, no, I, I agree overall. Though I mean, I think Arkansas 
clearly had a plan. I don't want to say that they tanked last fall, but it kind of <laughs> it kind of feels that way. It kind of feels like they pulled a Miami where there was like, well, they weren't totally, totally, totally atrocious, but um, they still made the national meet. They just didn't have enough low sticks to, to really kind of rally around. But uh, that Arkansas team, outside of their new their new front runners, they're generally pretty young, if I remember that correctly. They've got yeah. you know like Ryan Murphy was a sophomore last year. They had. Um, you know, Matt Young was only just a junior the other year. I think Miles Richer was a freshman. So yeah, there, there's some there's some talented guys on there, and, and I think uh, you know, generally speaking, Arkansas is in, set to be in a really good position because they have that that piece that's kind of kind of connect everything uh, with McLeod. Another transfer who has cross country eligibility is Joseph Humes, uh, headed from Hillsdale to Purdue as a graduate transfer. He was 19th at D2 Nationals uh, this past fall, owns PRs of 814 and 1425. Another guy who might not be a big low stick for the Boilermakers, but is someone that is certainly going to be a stabilizing presence in the middle of their lineup and gives them another depth piece and another uh, opportunity to uh, really continue the progress that the Boilermakers have shown in the last few years. Jared Carpenter is leaving, but they do bring back a solid group of guys and Humes is just another great piece to add to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about this transfer for the Boilermakers is that he doesn't have to be the 10th place finisher that Jared Carpenter was at nationals this past fall. You know, you just take a look at it. At least he just brings consistency and he, he stops any kind of, you know, bleeding as far as scoring is concerned. They still have Brody Smith and they still have Kurt Eckstein, two really solid and reliable low sticks. You know, two guys who were great last fall. And Hume's kind of, you know, he's he's kind of in that middle ground where he's not quite a low stick, but, you know, he's not just a filler piece on the back end. He looks like he's going to be a really solid middle lineup contributor. And, uh, and I think that's really going to be key for Purdue, a team that finished 11th last year. And if you look at all the teams ahead of them, you know, you got – was, let's say Colorado loses a ton, Iowa State loses a ton, Stanford loses a ton, Michigan loses a few key pieces, uh, Portland loses quite a lot. You know, there, there's a lot of teams that are losing quite a bit, and yeah, sure, Carpenter is gone, but the ability to have Humes in there kind of just brings a stabilizing presence to a Purdue lineup that is was still on the younger side last year and is now having some experience of racing at a really high level and uh, I think is going to you know do some really solid things. Uh, and I think they they might be overlooked just because uh, you know Carpenter left. So overall, great pick uh, pickup for the Purdue Boilermakers. Absolutely, yeah, it'll be exciting to see how he can adjust to the D one atmosphere and what he can produce at the national level. And I, I think he's going to really help Purdue as they continue to challenge in the Big Ten, uh, Great Lakes region, always very competitive, um, and see what the Purdue Boilermakers can do at Nationals next year. But moving on, we had another big transfer from a few weeks ago. We had Robert Brandt headed from UCLA to Georgetown, a multi-time All-American. He will only have track eligibility. But thankfully for Georgetown, he has 750 PR in in the 3K, 1336 in the 5K, 2853 in the 10K. He is just a stud across the board. And while they would love to have him for cross country, I'm sure he will bring them a ton of points in the Big East and likely at the national meets as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I actually think his 10K PR is actually faster uh, from his freshman year at California, where I think he ran 2848. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's actually got even he's that much faster. Um, and Georgetown is, you know, it's it's just a nice pickup for a Georgetown team that is traditionally middle distance based. Um, they're losing, a, you know, a few veterans, but also have a really young squad coming in. And this is kind of what we, you know, also kind of highlighted with Matthew Rizzo, but it's kind of the opposite with Brant in that, you know, Brant's not a long-term fix. This isn't, you know, kind of a guy who's going to be there for years and have cross-country eligibility or, you know, really kind of be able to have a long-term difference. But at the end, indoor and outdoor track eligibility, he's going to really help Georgetown get up there with, you know, the Villanova guys who have been pretty deep and pretty consistent in the longer distances as of late. And uh, it looks like that's a guy who's going to be a Big East champion in the 3K and 5K during indoors, the 5K, 10K during outdoors. He's going to, uh, you know, rack up a lot of big points for uh, for the Georgetown Hoyas in the Big East championships. And then very likely he'll go off and, you know, I think that the East region is admittedly a little lighter than the West region. And I think the feasibility of him qualifying for nationals out of the East region in both the 10K, 5K becomes just a little bit easier. Um, I'm not saying it's it's going to be any easy task, but um, you know, I think it just gets him you know one step closer to potentially uh, getting yet another All American honor. So generally speaking, solid name, talented, brings in uh, some experience to kind of mentor some younger guys, and uh, just overall a, a good good pickup for Georgetown. Yeah, and if he wants to double um, at nationals in 10K, 5K, I think that's maybe not easy, but a lot easier, I think, on the east side rather than the west where you're not going up against the NAU and BYUs of the world who are taking up three to four to five spots in each of those events. Exactly, because, you know, like BYU had six guys qualified right. in the west region last year, and that's that's half the qualifying half. spots. Yeah. That's half the qualifying spots. That doesn't, you know, mention like all the – the the Stanfords or the as we mentioned the NAUs or the Colorados or the Oregons or the Portlands or the you know the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be you know again it's not gonna be easy by any means. That's not what we're saying here. But I found that in my mind that there some of the more underrated names can come out of the East region. And I'm not saying that Brant's underrated, but I'm more just kind of saying that I think it's it's just gonna give him a little bit. He's gonna have a little bit of a stronger hold on the east region than maybe he would in the west region now how much of an impact that makes probably pretty minimal but you never know absolutely another um athlete who's changing coast is matt wisner headed from duke to oregon as a graduate transfer a uh two-time ncaa qualifier in the 800 giving the oregon ducks even more depth in the middle distances and giving them possibly another leg for the DMR um, and also someone to um, pair in the 800. Um, I think this is a really good pickup for Oregon, but I also think this is a really solid move for Wisner heading to Eugene. Yeah. You know, overall, I think that it's going to be, I think this says more about Oregon than it does Wisner. You know, Oregon has been, you know, obviously, been coached by Ben Thomas the last few years, and he previously coached Virginia Tech, which really for for a year or two there was easily the best middle distance program in the country, and it wasn't even close. I think they had you know four guys running one forty seven or faster, which is just insane. And 
you know, over the past two years now, you've slowly seen what he's been able to do with Luis Peralta. He brings in, uh, you know, Miles Owens, a 149 transfer from William & Mary uh, earlier uh, last year. Uh, now bringing in Matt Wisner. And you're slowly beginning to see this contingent of middle distance talent. And it's a little bit more pointed than it has ever been in years past under Powell. So I think this is kind of, you know, a signal where it's saying, hey, we have enough milers. Let's kind of drop down a little bit into the 800 and see what we can get there. And that's really kind of always been my critique for Oregon is that, man, imagine how many of their you know, great DMRs that they've had over the past years. Imagine how good they could have been if they just had a really good 800 leg. And we saw with with uh, Virginia Tech when they won their national title in 2018, what happens when you have a really good 800 leg. Patrick Joseph was the, was the reason, I don't want to say the only reason, but he was a big reason why the Hokies won the national title that year. So um, I, I think there's a, there's, Coach Thomas is willing to invest in the 800 meters and Wisner is kind of the first signal uh, of that. Well, yeah, I mean, Oregon has Luis Peralta already, but um, they didn't even, I don't, I don't think, used him in the DMR um, that set the collegiate record. So, like like you said, I, I think it is interesting that Oregon is starting to uh, go after these more 800 specialists so that they can either put them in the DMR and, and they can get more points in a different event other than just the mile. Um, and I, I think that'll be interesting to watch as we go along in the next few years. Uh, but another n- big transfer news that we just got, I think, today is we had the Daily Twins from uh, University of Pennsylvania announcing that they will be finishing their collegiate career at Notre Dame. Um, both come in with very strong uh, PRs. We have Colin Daly, who's run 359 in the mile. Um, run 811 in the 3K. Will has run uh, 851 in the steeplechase. Both guys, I think, are going to come right in and give Notre Dame some added firepower on the track, which um, will be very interesting to see because I don't think we've seen Notre Dame necessarily have a huge presence in the outdoor track scene other than Nagoose in the last few years. Right, yeah. I and mean, that's kind of been why this is such an important, you know, I think this is it's generally why this is such an important uh, pickup for Notre Dame. Um, you know, like Colin Daly running a 359 mile, that's great and all. But, you know, between, you know, Jacob Dumford, who graduated a little bit ago, and Dylan Jacobs and Yared Nagus, Notre Dame has really been centering, or excuse me, around the mile distance. And, you know, last year was kind of the first time we saw them venture a little bit into the 5K and 10K with Kel Rea and, uh, and a few other names like Matthew Carmody in the 5K. You know, they're slowly venturing out into a few other uh, events, but the steeplechase has never really been a part of that. You know, they don't, I think Anthony Williams was their fastest steeplechase last year at 9.04. Um, and, and this is kind of one of those instances where now they bring in you know, Colin Daly, who qualified for nationals in the steeplechase last spring, and Will Daly, who has been not too far off from doing the same in the steeplechase uh, a couple of times. So the, for me, this is a, a great pickup where Notre Dame can kind of maintain their identity of wanting to dominate that 1,500-mile distance, but also venture a little bit into the steeplechase, score points there, look at maybe potentially getting a national qualifier or two, um, and generally just building their reputation, you know, as a team that is going to be a problem in the ACC. And um, yeah, so so overall, generally, I thought it was an interesting move for Notre Dame to kind of go after steeplechase specialists. 
yeah, I, I think it was a good good move. While it's not going to make a huge impact for years to come because they'll only be there for one year, it could provide uh, Notre Dame with the infrastructure and uh, the credentials to pick up steeplechasers in the future, which could be a uh, big asset for them moving forward. And speaking of steeplechasers, we had Steven Newmeyer of Cornell, another Ivy League talent, headed to Oregon. He owns an 853 steeplechase PR. Again, like we talked about with Notre Dame, it seems like Oregon's trying to move into uh, different events and the steeplechase being one of them. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, overall, I mean, it's just you have now him joining Jackson Messler, who is an 844 steeplechaser. Uh, Noah Affolder, who's currently rehabbing from an injury. He is an 840 PR. Um, you're, you're slowly beginning to see, you know, in a West region dominated by BYU and Portland, you have to wonder if other coaches are saying, gosh, are we just not investing enough in the steeplechase? Because truthfully, I do think it is an event that sometimes gets overlooked because it is only in the spring season, right? Really, if, if you have a steeplechaser and if, if they're not, you know, a, a huge cross-country score or an impact cross-country name, then really their value only lies in the spring. and you know, I think some coaches maybe potentially overlook the value of having that, which is why we've seen a, a really big consolidation of names from BYU and Portland and out of the West region uh, in the steeplechase. And I think this is just kind of uh, Oregon kind of testing the waters saying, hey, we've got a good steeplechase group of our own. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what happens when we bring in, you know, I, I think it's an 853 guy uh, from Cornell. So I, I think this is just an interesting decision and, um, I would actually kind of like to see more coaches out there try to, you know, really contend with BYU in Portland and see if, you know, make kind of these investments to bring over names uh, from the East region in an East region that has quietly produced a lot of great steeplechase talents of their own. Exactly. Yeah. I think uh, when you're talking about steeplechase uh, stars like Noah Affolder coming over from the East region as well, we just talked about the Daily Twins. Um, some pretty strong uh, steeplechase talents in the East region and making the move over to the West. It'll be interesting to see how well they compete um, in the West region. Two other transfer names that I wanted to maybe briefly touch on before we move on is Ben Hill moving from Michigan to Wake Forest and Zach Kirk going from EKU to Portland. Um, Kirk has cross country and track eligibility left. Well, uh, I believe Hill just has track eligibility. Uh, what do you make of these two transfers, Garrett? Um, for Hill, you know, it's a solid name. Um, I think he's going to be a good veteran middle distance talent to kind of, you know, help work the the scoring with Zach Focioni, uh, Faccioni. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. Um, but, you know, I think this allows kind of uh, Faccioni to kind of go up in distance to the 5K during the outdoor season while Hill kind of works that mile 1500 distance there. Um, and I, I just think that's a good dynamic to have. Well, Hill can also mentor a very young Wake Forest uh, middle distance group and then, you know, group that's shown some pretty decent promise as well. Um, so I, I like I like that move just for that sake, but I don't know long term or really in the grand scheme of things how much of an impact it's going to have. Um, and then as for, um, oh gosh, what, I'm not even looking at the, the list anymore. Are we, who are we, Zach Kirk. That's correct. All right. Zach Kirk, because Kirk was a name that that had happened actually quite a few weeks ago. So yeah. everything's, you know, there's so many transfers, man. I can't keep up with it all. Um, 
But Kirk is, I think, the, really the biggest impact name here because of his cross-country eligibility. Portland loses uh, Rudolph Levis. They lose Caleb Webb. They lose Michael Terrence Solano. Um, those are three really big names and really key impact names. And Portland has found a way to rebound each and every fall despite losing all these top talents. But this is going to be really hard and exceptionally hard. Now, they've brought in Jacob Clems, who is a, a multi-time, multi, multi I'm just butchering my words here, who's a multi-time uh, D2 All-American at Washburn before transferring over. Um, and now Kirk joins him. So I think Kirk alongside Clems is going to bring some scoring stability, some depth. He'll be a kind of a top five guy. I don't necessarily see him being a low stick or like, you know, a, a, a you know the whole game-changing uh, recruit that's going to you know change everything, but I do think he brings some consistency to the team. He allows you know the top guys like Everett Silva and Riley Oson to kind of do work at the top of the lineup. Um, so I, I think he kind of completes a lineup and, and kind of puts together a, a Portland squad that may not be the best team we've ever seen uh, from them, but I do think they stay competitive on the national stage. And I, generally speaking, I think that's why Kirk is important for the Pilots. Yeah, as someone who's had to go up against Kirk many times in the Ohio Valley Conference, I, I think he's a great pickup. He he's excels uh, on the grass. He destroyed me multiple times um, over cross country, and he was 23rd in the Southeast region. Um, he's also a, a pretty strong and versatile uh, track athlete, but I think a lot of his value is going to come uh, in the fall where he, I mean, 23rd in the Southeast region, it, it's a very solid region. And I obviously not as deep or as strong as the West, but again, like you said, he, he gives them just another piece that they can put into the middle lineup and he's battled some injuries before. So I think a, a healthy Kirk could really, really be a nice piece for them. And like you said, provide stability and give them just a, another ticket in terms of, Maybe he just bursts through in a big way and the change of scenery really help it, helps him and he has a, the season of his life. But even if he doesn't, I think he'll be a very useful piece for them. Yeah, absolutely. As long as he is able to stay healthy, you know, he's able to just stay consistent. You know, for, for me, really, the well, all I need from Portland this year is I think Everett Silva is going to be a really solid talent. But, you know, Kirk, Kirk doesn't need to be the superstar low stick for me, he just has to be a solid contributor. That's all I'm really looking for. And I think that this is the perfect team for him to do that, especially with them, you know, having Clems along him and, you know, they've always, they've always got some, some really talented recruits and some underrated guys. So they'll, they'll be competitive, but overall, I think this was, um, you know, a, a good pickup doesn't need to be life-changing, but solid one that keeps Portland relevant. And to finish out, I think we should talk about the report that uh, Garrett broke uh, a few days ago about the NCAA cross-country qualifying process potentially changing. We could be moving to a five-region setup instead of uh, what we have currently. And obviously, this ha could have a dramatic effect on many, many teams uh, across the entire uh, U.S., a fascinating thing to bring up during this time, um, but one that could have major repercussions for years to come. Why do you think they're looking into this right now, Garrett? I've seen a few theories thrown out there, but I'm curious what your take is on it. Yeah, this has been kind of a 
you know, generally speaking, this has been kind of in the talks for the past, for years now, really. I mean, this has been kind of, you know, bubbling and, and in conversations and it's been brought up, but uh, for really kind of, you know, to actually see some details and some specifics and seeing that there are committees behind this and that they're currently exploring it, I think it really shows that this is, you know, a very seriously, you know, looking to potentially change. And I, I had heard this from from a coach as well. And so when, when we got this documentation and when we were able to confirm the documentation on the committee's proceedings page, you know, the first thing I think of is like, well, five regions, they're trying to simplify things. And I think they just want, you know, cross country is already kind of a to to the average sports fan not exactly the easiest sport to follow you know like it's you know it's got like oh there's the point scoring and you know the perfect score is 15 points and there's displacement and yada 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 and then you know the coloss uh stuff is impossible for even most coaches to follow um so yeah super happy that i learned all of it only to learn that it's going to be gone anyways um but i think it just comes down to a matter of you know its complications and that there's nine regions and, you know, this is something that we've talked about a ton of times, but you know, how fair are these regions? Like the South central region, I'm sorry, but let's be very realistic about the South central region. Unless you're Arkansas, Texas, and then maybe sometimes SMU on a very rare occasion. Like, I'm, I mean, that's that region, you know, are we really saying that that region should have, are we just going to give it to Texas and Arkansas every time? You know, and, I mean, that's the way it is right now. Right? That's right. That's the way it is right now. So I think it's just going to be interesting to see kind of what happens next. And also, by the way, for everyone who maybe saw the article and, and read everything, the graphic is not representative of <laughs> the regions. I just put it together. Like it's it's not representative. I don't know what the regions are going to look like. Uh, everyone was very confused about that. Apparently, I did not think of all the, the details that were going to go into that article that the graphic would be the biggest issue. But just a heads up on that. Yeah, I, I like because on the on the graphic you have like the tip of the other side of Michigan just barely <laughs> shaded in gray. So that I'm sure that just threw people for a loop. Um but I so I, I think the interesting thing about this, and I think this has been floated on uh Twitter a few times, um, I think Steve Magnus might have brought brought it up, is that schools and athletic directors want to be able to say that their team qualified for regionals rather than just ran in regionals. So by limiting maybe the region size down to five, maybe there's a qualifying process who knows what that is. And if we're talking about simplifying the sport, that certainly would not be something that would simplify it because that qualifying process to get to regionals, I'm sure would be a headache to figure out. Um, so I'm curious to see if these five regions will be like it is now where everybody just makes it, or if it's there's a qualifying process. And if there is, how does that happen? Because that could be a even bigger controversy than Coloss, the Coloss system is right now. Yeah, it's just going to be a total headache if they decide to make this. You know, it's kind of like the don't break what's not broken or don't fix what's not broken. I can't right. even get my phrases correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's kind of one of those, those situations. And I I personally love the cold loss scenario again, because I you know took X amount of months to learn it, but I do think it's fair. I think it's balanced. I think it brings a little bit of mystery. You know, I, I think it kind of plays this kind of, 
you know, kind of almost data science kind of game. We have to balance points and how oh, did they get it there and where did they get their points from? I think that's kind of the, the part of the fun of it. You know, that's why I enjoy it. Um, but now the idea that, you know, if you win your conference meet, you know, you're going to automatically get selected to your regional championship and, you know, this and that and the five regions, it's, it's all just very new. And it's all, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'd have to really kind of see what the details are going to look like. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. This is definitely, I don't know why uh, of all the things that they decided to do this during a pandemic, maybe it's because <laughs> we didn't have anything else to do, which is probably just like, oh, sure, change it. Why not? But yeah, who, who knows? Yeah. So, it, and like you mentioned in the article, this isn't something that would go into effect until 2022. But it's certainly a story to continue to monitor and continue to talk about um, because it would have such a dramatic impact on how we view uh, the season of cross country. Yeah, and also just going back to your to your point about you know coach you know teams and, and coaches want to say like oh we qualified for regionals. I promise you that I have seen plenty of press releases from schools being like <laughs> Team X finished 31st in the super competitive Nuttycomb invite when there's like 32 teams, you know, like, right. like, like you know, there's just things like that where I've seen teams where it's like, you know, wow, they finished top, you know, on X in in this region or in this conference when there's only like, you know, they finished ninth out of 10 teams. Like, and that stuff infuriates me. So I promise you, like <laughs> I, I promise you there are going to be, you know, teams who probably do it anyways. Like we qualified for regionals, even though everyone goes to regionals, I'm sure that we will probably see that anyway. So I don't, I don't think that's stopped yeah, teams and, and uh, athletic departments from claiming that before. That That's a fair point. No one is quicker to self-congratulate themselves than many schools in the NCAA system. So I, I have no no doubt that that would probably be the case. But um, it would be it would be interesting to see if cross country moved to a model which basically other every other sport has where you have to qualify for the regional championship before moving on to nationals. Um, so something to keep an eye on. Um, but. I think we should probably wrap it up here. We had plenty of transfer news to talk about in this episode. I'm sure we will have more to talk about next week. Um, we just finished up April Anarchy. We had uh, on the women's side, Jenny Simpson uh, take the crown, whereas King Edward Cesarek, of course, won the title on the men's side. It was a fantastic competition. It was great to see all the people vote and uh, the people the, the small controversies uh brewing because someone won that someone didn't think should win or whatever the seedings were really happy with how that went um i think i can speak for everyone at tsr um so thank you to everyone who voted and followed us along on that journey yeah that was awesome you guys were so awesome in getting involved with that um our traffic was has been great for considering there's a pandemic um which is not something that a lot of sites can say um but yeah, it's, it's been awesome. So thank you for the support. Go out, share our content. If you enjoy it, uh, just just put the word out there. Uh, we're just trying to stay, you know, trying to keep our numbers up. And so far, you guys have been awesome about doing so. Um, share the word. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for voting on April Anarchy. And leave us a rating and review. I'm just going to keep yelling into the mic at the end of every podcast until it becomes very Pavlovian uh, for people to just start doing it. So, um, but yeah, other than that, uh, thanks for, for reading and listening. 
and uh yeah we'll be back for more yeah keep sending us more ideas and thoughts while we get through this period without any racing we will continue to be talking about the sport as long and as much as we possibly can um and until next week when we do the same thing i'll talk to you garrett i'll talk to you